good-looking bunch. Um, you know, the sermon I'm going to preach today, I believe fully from, of course, God's Word, the Bible, and I think it's going to uh, challenge you. It'll challenge you, uh, some of you, in terms of how you understand a passage that you may feel you have understood for a long time in a particular way, but it'll also challenge you, I think, just because it calls us to something, um, uh, calls us to live a life that's profoundly different from the way we often live our lives. So I hope you're prepared for that. We talked about being open and receptive, our hearts open to God and to God's Word, whose heart is open. Who's really eager to learn it? Who's really eager to obey it? Yeah, like 10% of you, right? Like, what, should I just go home or something? I'll I'll take that as, I don't know how to take that, but anyway, I'm going to talk anyway, and I'll trust God to do what he wants to do with it. Let me pray. Lord, your word really does come into our lives, and uh, at times it challenges us in, in unique and profound ways. And Lord, when we uh, continue to think about marriage today, we're going to be challenged by um, the reality of what you call us to. And I pray, Lord, we pray together that, uh, number one, our hearts will be open. We want to know your way, your will, your mind, because, Lord, we know there's true life there. And God, we want to know as well um, just how to make our marriages thrive. So we pray together that, uh, Holy Spirit, you will take these words soon to be spoken, and that you'll bring them to life in the minds and in the hearts of those gathered here, that you might bring life, that you might bring joy and goodness and blessing in the way that you truly desire for your people. So be with us now and speak, we pray. Amen. Well, we're talking about marriage. We have been for some time, and um, uh, I want to ask this morning, everyone here, those of you who are married, what is your heart's stance in relationship with your, with your husband or your wife. By the way, for those of you who aren't married and hope to be, figure it out now, sooner the better, right? Those of you who used to be and aren't now, well, you're going to get this. But I think sometimes we develop a stance in our heart, and I'm going to illustrate some of these for you, um, that's a long way from what God wants uh, uh, for us. Sometimes we're in marriage, and it's like a tug of war. You're, you, you know, you, you want one thing, your spouse wants another, and it's like there's an imaginary spouse over there in a long rope, and I'm, I'm pulling hard on this rope because I want my way. Anybody get this? Anybody get this? <laughs> okay, so I'm pulling hard, and, and if I win, what happens? She's mad. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, the, the person, I don't want to... Just assume it's the, the husband that wins. But whoever wins leaves the spouse lying flat on his or her face. I win. I'm in control. Yay me. So sometimes it's pulling on the rope as if you're in a tug of war and you're, you're pulling to get your way. Sometimes the stance of the heart is like this. I've heard it before. I don't want to hear it anymore. I'm tired of the discussion. And sometimes we even get to this point. You can talk all you want. I'm not listening. I'm done. You know? Is that your heart's stance? Can be. It easily can be that uh, in our relationships with one another. Sometimes the stance is like this, (laughs) fists up. And you want to fight, I'll fight with you. And sometimes relationships get to a point in which they are characterized by conflict. Um, Sometimes it's 
Often, sometimes not so much. But there's something in my heart, I'm ready to fight. Because out of the fight, I'm going to get what I want. And uh, you might not like it, but I'm going to win. <laughs> Malcolm shakes his head. Come on, buddy. Give me a break. It happens. It happens. And, you know, it's an it's a, it's a adversarial sort of a relationship. Marriage. It's not the way it's supposed to be. It's not what God wants, but we can get ourselves there. Uh, sometimes it's this. It's the finger pointing. We've talked about this before. Remember from Genesis chapter 3? You know, what's the matter with you? You're, you're the problem. I'm not the problem. It's you. And if you would just change, we'd be a whole lot better off. We'd be happier. Finger pointing. You there? Have you ever been there? Could that be your heart's stance at the moment? Sometimes it's like this. Head down. Arms kind of floppy. And it's a stance of despair and hopelessness. It's, it's, it's sort of a stance where in our hearts we're kind of giving up. <laughs> maybe not giving up on the marriage, maybe. But it's like, there's nothing I can do about this. It's just, ah. You know, I could, I could go on. There are various stances which we take in our hearts toward our spouse, which can bring real unhappiness and destruction to a marriage. What's yours right now if you're married? What's yours going to be when you get into marriage? Right? I want to suggest to you, and it grows out of what we've said in recent weeks, another stance. And it's essentially this. Open hands, bowing in the presence of our spouse. Humble, servanthood, bowing. And it's a recognition of the value and the worth and the significance of that person to you. It's a recognition that I'm here to serve you. It's the recognition that I love you so much that my life is being caught up in this endeavor to bring you joy and goodness. Anybody there? And all the spouses are wishing, saying, I wish she was, or I wish she was. I want to tell you, God loves you. God forms marriage. God wishes marriages to thrive and be filled with love and goodness and joy and peace significant meaning god wishes our marriages to thrive but i want to tell you it's not easy to get there last week i talked about timothy keller's perspective that great author from uh, uh, a church in new york city presbyterian ministry he talked about the me marriage which grows out of the me generation and it's essentially this i'm going to enter into marriage for my sake i'm going to enter a marriage because i think marrying you will make me happy I'm going to enter into marriage, and now I want you to serve me. We don't think in these terms very often, but, but that's the reality, deep down in the heart. And you see, the reality is that, that, that when, when we get into a marriage like that, especially if two people come into marriage with that perspective, they're expecting the other to bow to them and to meet their needs, to serve their interests, to act in such a fashion that they are benefited. And when you have two people not bowing to one another, <laughs> and each of them expects the other to bow, guess what happens? Mm. <laughs> finger pointing and blaming you're not doing what i expect you to do despair I, I don't know what to do i don't know how to make this better and you know my friends we looked at a passage last week which i believe is is central a central principle in ephesians chapter 5 and it says this um essentially uh to and it says this and it says this, therefore, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. 
That's a controlling principle of this whole text, which is a famous text, and we're going to look at it in detail today about how husbands and wives are to live in relationship with one another. And he said, because you revere Christ, because you're awed by Christ, learn to live like him. Learn to live in the way of the kingdom. Learn to live like Jesus lived, who humbled himself, Philippians says. You remember if you were here? And, and gave up the glory of heaven, and he came as a humble servant, and he went to even the point of death on a cross like a, a criminal. Why? To love you, to serve your interests. Be like Jesus, the verse says. And then what happens is that Paul carries on in the text, and that's what we're going to look at today, and he brings very specific teaching to the the churches of Ephesus, because it was a bunch of churches in Ephesus in that area that he was writing to through this letter. Um, and, and, And he plays out this principle of serving one another, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And he does it in a couple of interesting ways, uh, one of which irks a lot of people, particularly women, I would suggest, who don't understand the text. And he says, wives, submit to your husbands. Women, for generations now, have been told, don't submit to anyone, particularly don't submit to a man. You want want me to live my life serving a man? And the answer in the culture is, no, you don't do that. And women have been told, assert yourself, live for yourself, get get what you want out of life, do what's good for you. And then the other instruction that we're going to look at is is Paul coming along saying, guys, love your wives like Christ left the church and died for her. We're going to unpack that, but if that hasn't struck you profoundly yet, it had better strike you by the end of this little talk of mine. (laughs) Love your wives like Christ left the church and died for it? I think there's something in this principle of submitting to one another that is going to shake our lives if we will take, them, take it seriously, and it will transform our marriages. And I want to tell you, it will take you to incredible blessing in your marriage if you'll embrace it. If you'll embrace it. And it's not an easy thing to embrace until we get our heads, I think, fully around the dynamic. So let's jump in, shall we? You know, the idea that we've talked about where the Holy Spirit comes last week's talk and fills us and empowers us and he, he meets our needs and, uh, of affirmation and significance and worth and, and we're filled up with God and filled up with love. That's the prior to this text. It's verse 18, I believe. And this is one of the things that God, by his spirit, enables us to do is to submit. Now we're getting to the point of what actually does it look like. So let's look at the role of the wife in the Christian marriage. We're going to read 22 to 24 of chapter 5. You all ready? Are you all ready? What do I have to do with you people? You got to engage this stuff, right? I'm engaged. Can you tell I'm engaged? You sit there like a bump on a log. I'm not happy. You're here to worship God. You are here to hear from God. And then you're here to go and obey God, right? So you are alive and you are present. And you are listening. To, you're seeking understanding so that you might obey the word of God, right? Thank you. Thank you. We'll keep at it. So here it comes. For wives, this means, what means? This is the New Living Translation. I love it. For wives, this means, what does this mean? Submit to one another reverence for Christ. There's a direct connection. Actually, in this verse in Greek, there's no word submit. It's assumed from the previous verse. It actually says, this means to your husbands as to the Lord. Like, you know what I just talked about? (laughs) You got to submit, just like I just mentioned. Everybody has to submit to one another. Wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Next verse. For a husband is the head of his wife, as Christ is the head of, this, of the church. He is the savior of, this, of his body, the church. 
As a church submits to Christ, just in the same way that we submit to Jesus, so you wives should submit to your husbands in everything. Now, what's going on here? What is, what is really happening in this? Because as I say, a lot of people, a lot of women hear this and they go, oh, no! <laughs> you know, I don't want that. that. This sounds dangerous to me. This sounds destructive. This sounds something that I need to push hard against. I need to resist the idea of submitting to my husband. What's happening in this context? We have to understand historical context, and I would suggest to you that it's this, that in this, in this time, in this place, to which Paul is writing, the churches of Ephesus, first century Christianity, um, women are experiencing a newfound freedom in Christ. I want you to understand this. Up until this point, they didn't have freedom. They were subjugated by men. They were controlled and dominated by men. Remember Genesis chapter 3, that your desire will be for your husband, but he will rule over you? For thousands of years... Now that we left Genesis chapter 2 and moved into Genesis chapter 3, men had been ruling over wives. They had been using physical force to dominate and control wives. It only hurt them. And I would suggest it hurt the man too, but they didn't know it at the time. They were getting their way, pulling on the rope. And, and along comes Paul, you know, this great mind who is converted, converted to Christianity from, from Judaism and, and he, ha, he has been teaching this early church, this first century church, as he did the Galatians in chapter 3, verse 28, which says this. There is no longer Jew or Gentile. What does that mean? In the kingdom of God, it doesn't matter what ethnic grouping you, you belong to. You're all one in Christ. There is no longer slave or free. What does that mean? <laughs> that means it's time to liberate slaves, people. It, it took us a long time to figure it out. <laughs> but it doesn't matter because you are equal, Slave owner in the context he's writing to, and slave, you are equal in Christ. And there is no longer male or female. This is a dramatic and profound statement that he wrote to the Galatian church and he would have spoken to other people. He said, it doesn't matter whether you're male, male or female, we are all one in Christ Jesus. Equality, powerful, radical teaching in the day. And I want to tell you, my friends, what is being spoken is countercultural, more so than and now, but still very much true to this day, as you will discover in the end of the day. It's a message of the equality of all people, including the equality of men and women. Um, the message would have been heard, it would have been radical, it would have been dramatic in its reception. This is the stuff of Genesis chapter 2, where Adam and Eve were created equal. You remember that? Eve was made from the same stuff of Adam, the rib. Uh, they, are, they are different, but the same. There's an equality wired into the very nature of who they are. But here in Ephesus, the women, having heard this message of, of liberation, this message of freedom, they were asserting their rights. Does that sound familiar to you at all? <laughs> Just going on and has been going on in our culture for quite a long time now. And, and, and they were no longer submitting to the authority of their husbands because they didn't have to. They were no longer, if you would, under the thumb of that, that man in that culture who determined everything, who used them as he wished. But Paul comes along and says, just, just wait a minute. You are free. You are equal, even. As radical and dramatic as that sounded to those people. But you, you, you don't submit because you have to, because you're forced to. Submit because you want to. Submit out of reverence for Christ, verse 21. Submit to the Lord Jesus because you are blown away by who he is and because you want to become like him in your heart of hearts. You want to serve out of love this guy that you're married to. 
So the clear and specific instruction to the wives of the Ephesian churches was, yes, submit. Submit to your husband. Give up your desires and your wants for their sake so that you might love them. Sacrifice yourself in order to love them. Die to self in order that you might love them. Well, then he turns to the instruction to man. And somebody might ask, well, why doesn't he just then tell men to submit to their wives? That would make sense if the controlling principle is submit to one another of reverence for Christ. If he's told wives to submit to one another, why doesn't he then just go ahead and tell men to submit to their wives? If that is the way of Jesus. You know what I want to tell you today is this. Uh, that's exactly what he did. Using different words. Um, his command to the husbands were as radical and dramatic and as countercultural uh, as could have been imagined. Because this is what he said. He said, essentially, guys, love your wives profoundly. Listen to verse uh, 25 and then all the way to 27 of, of chapter 5. For husbands, this means, referencing back to the submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washing by the cleansing of God's word. He did this. He died for her out of love to present her to himself as a glorious church without spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. See, what Jesus is saying, what God is saying through this text, through Paul, is Jesus sacrificed himself out of love to the point of death so that he might bless the church and make her holy and blameless. He did what he did for us. He submitted his life for us so that we could be forgiven of all of our sins, so that we could come into a relationship literally with the living God, and I hope every person here is in that relationship. I hope you have found forgiveness of sins through the death and resurrection of Jesus. He did this, humbling himself, submitting himself, his very life on the cross so that we could have this ongoing dynamic experience of God in our lives, the blessing of God in our lives through this life and into eternity and forever. That's what Jesus did for us. And I want to tell you, in the same way Paul comes to the husbands in these churches and he said, you need to love your wives just as Jesus loved the church and gave up his life for it. Now, some wives might think submitting to their husbands is tough. <laughs> that command is, it's huge. It's challenging. Again, cultural context. It's radical because loving wives in this culture was not something that was necessarily a part of the role of a husband. You know, we read this through North American eyes. Husbands are supposed to love their wives, right? Not there. Husbands didn't need to love their wives. Women literally were used by men. Literally, women were the property of men. Literally. Um, they were considered uh, chattel, if you would. Uh, in, Jerusalem, in, in Israel, as I've mentioned to you before, a husband could divorce his wife at any time by publicly stating, I divorce you three times. And he would just kind of ditch one wife and move on to the next. Till he got tired of her and then he would say publicly i divorced you three times and off she would go and he'd go on to the next not a bad arrangement for guys some might think 
but a disaster for women because women were left economically destitute, often having to move into prostitution to survive because they had no means of making money. It was an awful, awful thing that was going on. And into this sort of scenario, along comes the Apostle Paul, and we read something that, ah, to us, no big deal, love your wives. And he says to these people, not only do you have to love them, you have to love them to the point of being willing to die for them. Wow. I want to tell you, my friends, I want you to listen to this. It's not possible to submit yourself more as a husband to anyone than, than to actually give up your life for them. This is submitting the self in its entirety to the point of death. You know, the Bible talks, and I give reference uh, to the idea of dying to self and how we have to die to self to love other people. This isn't dying to self. This is dying. <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's, it's a dramatic command that uh, Paul gives to these husbands. And you see, you can't sacrifice yourself any more than this. You can't give up anything can't give up anything more of your life than this very thing. You can't die to yourself any more than actually giving up your life. And what I'm saying to you in, in, in this sermon, and I guess last week's as well, is we are called to mutually submit to one another. Mutual submission is the term given to this understanding of Scripture. Wives submit to husbands. Husbands submit to wives to the point of death. Out of love. Serve one another. Love one another. Humble yourself in the presence of one another. Care for one another in, in, in dramatic ways. Some might hear what I'm preaching about in this mutual submission idea and come along and say, but wait a minute, Chris. What about the idea that the husband is the head of the wife? Doesn't that mean that he's the leader, he's the boss, he's the authority in, in the relationship and indeed in the family? Like somebody who is maybe the head of a corporation, a CEO or a president, someone who's, who's the head of, head of something or other. Isn't that the leadership role? Well, let me tell you, I uh, hate to refer to Greek too often, but <laughs> I got to here. But there are two Greek words which in English are both interpreted as head. Husband is the head of the wife. One of those words is explicit, explicitly gives reference to the idea of leadership and authority. Um, the person who is in charge. And that word's not used in this text. Now I want to tell you, that's really important. Because if Paul wanted to communicate leadership and authority, he would have used that in, in Ephesians chapter 5. He chose to use a different word. As a matter of fact, if he wanted to communicate leadership, he would have said, for the husband is the leader of the wife. And if he wanted to communicate the, the authority, he would have said the, the husband is the authority over the wife. He doesn't say that. He said the husband is the head of the wife. What does that mean? Well, the other Greek word which is used in this text uh, is a word that is, that, that is used more um, to, to, to illustrate the meaning of it, more in the context of, um, you know, uh, the head of a river. What's the head of a river? It's the source. It's the area from which the river flows. It's the source of a river. And the suggestion then, of course, is that what the husband is to do is to be the head in the sense that he's supposed to be the source of the wife in terms of, of what? Life and encouragement and joy and of healing and of love and of peace and of goodness. Let, let those things flow from his being into her life for her sake. Um, so I would suggest to you this 
instruction or the comment about how the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church doesn't give reference to authority or leadership. It gives reference to sourcing and loving and providing for. There's some later verses that tie in profoundly with this. Verses 28 to 29. It's, it's, it's as Paul carries on in his instruction to the, to the men of this church, to the husbands of the church, where it says this. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives. Same thing, same way. Love their wives as they love their own bodies. Okay, here's a new bit of analogy. As you love yourself, so you love your wife, okay? For a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. Interesting thought. And then it says this, no one hates his own body, but what does he do? He feeds and cares for it, just as Christ cares for the church. And again, the parallel with the church. But the idea, if you love yourself and your body, you will feed and you will care for it. If you love your wife, what will you do? You will feed and care for her. You will source her with love, with care, with nurturance. This is the idea that is caught up in this headship concept in Ephesians chapter 5. And then comes this critical piece in the teaching of Paul. I'm going to read verses 31 and 32, but I'll tell you particularly verse 32 is an odd verse. Because what we have is this principle, this overriding principle, submit to one another of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your husbands. Husbands, love your wives to the point of death. And then these verses. And then reference to Genesis chapter, cha- chapter 2 again, as you'll see in a minute. And then this odd verse. Let me read it to you. As the scriptures say... Direct quote from Genesis 2. A man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife and the two are united into one. This one flesh, this one union, this so forth. And then this. This is a great mystery, but it is an illustration of the way of Christ. But it is an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. And, you know, you look at the chapter and you go, Paul, aren't we talking about marriage? And he says, no. I'm talking, what I'm talking about, actually, is how Christ and the church are one. He's talking about the relationship of Christ and the church. And what he's saying is that all this discussion about marriage is nothing more than an illustration of the relationship with Jesus to his church. He who has died out of love to serve the interests of the church, so you husbands do the same for your wives. You see, Jesus has come and Jesus has done this incredible thing for us, the church. As, he, as Philippians said, and we referenced it last Sunday, he left the glory of heaven and he came to the earth to become a human being. He, and he humbled himself, it says, and he became a human being. And even beyond that, he went to death. And even beyond that, he went to death on a cross. He, he died the life of a despicable criminal. But he didn't care because he was loving you. And you get the point? <laughs> Husbands, come to the plate now, please. Humility. Serving the need of your wife, serving the interest of your wife, caring and nurturing her as the head. This is a profound and dramatic call to the husbands of Ephesus and of IPC. Love your wives like Jesus loved the church and died for her. What does this look like? What does it all mean? I'm going to start with a man. I just think it's more fun. Laugh. Thank you. But it's essentially this, guys. Those of you who are married and those of you who will marry, you have to love your wife so much that you would die for her, if need be. 
Um, this is saying there should be nothing, including death, that you wouldn't do for your wife. You there? Hmm. Give me a minute to think about that, Chris. I have a suspicion, partly because I'm a guy and I kind of get it, <laughs> that if I were to ask a lot of guys in this church, would you die for your wife if you needed to? They would probably take a few minutes, maybe a few hours, I don't know, but they'd sit and they'd think, if seriously asked to consider the possibility. And in the end of the day, they'd say, you know what? I love her that much. I would die for her. I think I would. Yeah. I want to tell you, it's almost like this appeals to something in a man uh, that is heroic. You get this, guys? You know what I'm talking about? But yeah, I do it. And that's awesome. But here's where things get a little bit difficult. I would die for my wife, but put my dirty socks in the laundry hamper? No way. (laughs) I would die for my wife, but give up my golf game Saturday morning to do something she really wants to do? Are you out of your mind? I would die for my wife, but to take time to sit down and share my heart with her? Ooh, that sounds scary. Share what's really going on inside of me because I know she longs for that? No. Death, yes. Sharing my heart, no. I could go on and on. You know, do some of the chores, just kind of take it off her plate for a week so that she might have some time to herself. Bless her that way in humility. Become the servant. (laughs) I changed the oil, honey. I cut the grass. I do the outside work. Everything inside. That's you. Leave me alone. And guys, you know what I'm talking about here. I could go on and on. But can you see the absolute inconsistence between the statement, I would die for my wife and actually mean it, but I won't put my dirty socks in the laundry hamper? Guys, it doesn't make sense. I want to tell you, uh, gentlemen, those of you who are married and those of you who will be, (laughs) we are called by God to sacrifice ourselves out of love for the women we are married to. And not just a little bit. Um, And I want to remind you, love in the Bible is not something about feelings. I mean, talk about Greek, I can again, but I don't really want to. But clearly, I want to tell you, love in the Bible is not about what you feel. And it's not about something that just dwells in your heart. Oh, I told her I loved her when I married her. I don't need to do it. I don't need to tell her again. I don't need to show it. That's not biblical stuff. Biblical love is something that is translated into action. The action of service. The action of self-sacrifice for the sake of another. It is seeing the need in our spouses. It's seeing their desires, their hopes, their dreams, and sacrificing of ourselves so that they might be blessed, guys. It's almost like, if I could put it this way, you get out of bed every morning and you recognize your Lord, the Lord Jesus, who speaks this truth into our lives. And after you recognize him and you commit yourself to serving him, you think, okay, what, can I, what does my wife need? What, does, what are her interests that I can sacrifice to meet? What is it that I can do to die to self that I might love her? Every day. Guys get out of bed. I think for the most part we think, okay, we've got to get up, we've got to go to work because that's important. 
I'm telling you this morning what's far more important according to the word of God is the woman with whom you wake up every day and loving her by sacrificing yourself significantly so that she is blessed. Can we do that, guys? I told you this is going to be challenging. No, no, this is not minimal stuff. This isn't, you know, God loves you and so do I. <laughs> this is what it means because God loves us. Remember, he empowers us by his spirit. If we'll live in intimate relationship with him, his spirit will fill our lives so much so that love is overflowing from us into the lives of the people surrounding us, first and foremost, our wives. What does it mean for wives to submit to their husbands? Well, I want to tell you, wives, it's, it's essentially the same thing. That's the point of this series. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. What it means is that you look at your husband, you observe him, you say, what are his needs, what are his desires, and how can I act for his sake? Even though it requires of me a sacrifice and a self-denial on my part, how can I live to serve this man? And it wouldn't surprise me if the feminism in some of us, including me when I say that, <laughs> rises up a little bit and says, you want me to live my life to serve a man? That's exactly what God is saying if that man happens to be your husband. Not because you have to. Let's get beyond that old way of thinking. That's Genesis chapter 3. <laughs> it's because you want to. It's because you love him with all of your heart and because the love of God has captured your being. And you're, you, you've gotten to a place where you're kind of like Jesus all of a sudden. So you too can get out of bed in the morning and say, Lord, I recognize you and I'm willing to live my life for you. What does that mean? And you think about your, your husband and you say, what does he really need of me today? What can I do to serve him and his interests and his desires and his needs? See, I want to suggest to you that this is what wedding vows are all about. I'm pretty convinced, having done weddings for a long time now as a minister, most people who marry don't really have a clue what they're doing. You work with them, you try to convince them. That, I mean, I was there once, I didn't have a clue. <laughs> but you know what they're doing? They're taking a solemn vow before God that, that from this day forward, they will no longer live for themselves, but their spouse. <laughs> I'm afraid a lot of people wouldn't get married if they really got that idea. <laughs> They're not going to live for themselves anymore. The I is not the center of their lives. God is at the center. Christ is on the throne. Next to Christ is husband. And then come kids in time, and then come others. But by the way, and remember, it's in that order. Or wives. It's a radical commitment of self-denial self-sacrifice living for another not yourself and the word of god says if you will embrace that you will know life it sounds like a crazy idea you want me to live my life sacrificing myself and my interests in order to bless someone else the bible says you do that you'll find life 
Remember Jesus, I think it's Mark chapter 8, I'm just throwing this in, so excuse me if I get some of the text wrong, but he basically said, if you want to save your life, you will lose it. You want to live for your own sake in marriage, go ahead, but you're going to lose something dramatic and profound. But if you will uh, lose your life for me in the gospel, you will save it. You want a great marriage, learn to live selflessly. Not for yourself, by the grace and by the power of God which is activated within you. You will, you will have a marriage that will be fantastic. <laughs> I want to illustrate this for you today. A couple in our church, some of you might know them. Um, the wife in this uh, relationship, um, you know, cute, bright, capable, kind, gentle, having a, I guess what I'm going to call a significant birthday soon. In the fall, actually. And, and, and her heart's desire is to go to Italy to celebrate the Amalfi Coast or Tuscany, something like that. Um, the husband in the relationship, he's a good guy. Good looking, intelligent, good catch. <laughs> but he was born in Scotland. And he doesn't think they can afford it. And by the way, he hangs around with way too many Dutch people. <laughs> I mean, you, you think being born in Scotland's bad enough? No, no, the Dutch influence, right? So there's a difference of opinion in this relationship. What are they going to do? What, what stance are they going to take toward one another? You know, they're going to get on the, you know, on the a different end of a, of a rope and start pulling until somebody falls flat in their face? Are they going to, you know, have a good fight about this between now and the birthday and if the right thing doesn't happen beyond? Are they going to go, <laughs> I've heard enough about this one, honey. I'm out. I'm not engaged anymore. Uh, oh, are they going to point fingers at each other? You are so cheap. I cannot believe how Jaime you are. What are they going to do? <laughs> we'll get to that listen to me listen to me don't lose the moment people don't lose the moment what does mutual submission look like in marriage what does it mean to really humble yourself in the presence of another in order to love here's what i would suggest to you it's this that the husband in this relationship comes along and says essentially okay honey i know how important this is to you and if it means that much we're going to go to italy We'd actually come across something like this. If it means that much to you, we're going to go to Italy. <laughs> but, but the wife in this relationship, honey, no, 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 no. I, I know your heart and I know what you're thinking. If you want to take the money, I didn't say this earlier, but you know, pay down some debt, let's do that. We can just stay at home and on my special birthday, we'll go to dinner. We'll even go to McDonald's. <laughs> Um, so you have him wanting what she wants now, and you have sh her wanting what he wants, literally. But there's still a problem because they don't agree anymore, or still. They literally don't want the same thing because of mutual submission. What do you do with that then? I'll tell you what you do. You get on your knees before God, and you say, Lord Jesus, you are our Lord, and you are our King. 
what is your will for our life? And you let the Lord Jesus tell you what he wants done, and you do it. You see this, my friends? Mutual submission is all about submitting to Christ out of reverence for him that ultimately you might obey him. You get this? This is a big deal. This is huge stuff for a married couple. It's literally saying, life is no longer about me, and quite frankly, when you get to it in the end of the day, it's even not about you, it's about the Lord Jesus and what he wants for us. Because what he wants for us is good, perfect, and pleasing, and it will bring us life. You know, a month ago, we had Taiwanese kids uh, in our church, maybe a little more than that now, an exchange happened between uh, a school in Taiwan and WCI here in Woodstock, and, and the kids came back after our kids went there, and uh, they were in church with us. They all sat over here, and it was a fun morning, uh, very, very neat. We had a, 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 a girl in our home, a young woman in our home named um, Sandy. That was her English chosen name. They could choose whatever they want, and she chose Sandy. And she was a lot of fun, and we had a good time over those 10 or 11 days. Um, but what happened? So I was part of this experience. And on the first night that the team had, had arrived, they came very, very late, like 1 o'clock or 2 o'clock, they arrived in Woodstock. And the next day, the Tuesday, we all gathered together in Woodstock for a meal, uh, which Jed Lau cooked. And I, what a great meal it was, Jed. Good job, good job. And... Um, Somebody at the end of the meal said, I'd like you to meet the chair of the board of the high school. It's a private school over there. And I'd like you to meet the chaplain of the school. It's a Christian school. And also there was another person, another leader. So I said, I'd be glad to meet them. And I went over and, and, and I was introduced to the chairman, a man I'm thinking is a little older than me, uh, but roughly the same age. And I put my hand out as I was introduced to him to, to shake his hand. And he reached out his hand and he took hold of mine. And as he did so, he did this. He bowed. Do you know what I did? Any idea? As he bowed, I, I don't bow, but I just bowed. I was told I nearly bumped, it, bumped into him. But I bowed. It was just like incredibly natural for me to do that. And I was taken over to, the, to meet the, the chaplain, and, and I was introduced, and, and, and I extended my hand, and she took my hand and shook my hand, and she bowed. And without thinking about it again, I bowed. And, and during the 11 days they were with us, I bumped into these people several times, and it happened again and again. I shook their hands, and they bowed, so I bowed, and she bowed, and so I bowed. I'm not a bower. I don't, we, we don't bow. But I want to tell you, my friends, um, they bowed because that's what they do. I didn't even think about it. They just do it. It's part of their culture. It's part of their way. Do you know who else, what other community, what other people ought to bow without thinking about it? The people of Jesus. It ought to be like breathing to us, second nature to us. As we move beyond the natural inclination of human nature, which says, you live for me, I want to benefit in this relationship, you bow to me because I'm not, I'm not going to bow to you. <laughs> the more we are transformed by the power of the Spirit of God and the Word of God, we become people who bow to one another. And we live not for ourselves, but we live for the other. We, we get to a point where, because we, we're becoming more and more like Jesus, self-sacrifice is written into our DNA. <laughs> you know, we die to self just because it's who we are. 
And I want to tell you, if you're in a relationship and you want to bring some joy and goodness and spiritual dynamic into the relationship, go home and start bowing and see what happens. I'm not going to guarantee you, to you, that your spouse will start to bow to you, but chances are pretty good he or she will. Because that person will understand something has changed here, and all of a sudden I'm, I'm the recipient of love. And there's something new going on in my relationship, and I'm ready to buy in. You know, the Word of God is countercultural. It was in Ephesus uh, in the first century, and it's dramatically so still today because human nature hasn't changed. And we hear this message, this message of self-sacrifice and self-denial and servanthood and bowing, and we go, ooh, (laughs) I really want to live that way. You know what? You do. And if you trust God and trust his word, you will. And if you live like Jesus, your marriage will thrive. And you know, we get to choose this, right? We get to be self-reliant and proud and, and resistant, and we get to you know, put up the, the, the dukes and we get to pull on the rope or we get to cross the rope. We get to do that if we want. But I'm telling you, it's not the way of Jesus. And there's another way that he invites us to. <laughs> and it is filled with love and humility. He comes along to us who are in marriage relationships and he says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Be so awed by the reality of what he has done for you that you start to do it to one another. And in that place, find life. So I say to you who are here today in marriage, yeah, do it. Um, You need to seek Christ first. On your own, you're not going to accomplish this. You need the Spirit of God welling up in you and prompting you and empowering you to be like Christ. But as you seek Jesus, and as you are filled with that Holy Spirit of God, start to love in this fashion and start to see the joy and the beauty and the goodness of marriage in a way that God intended. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, this, this word is to us today. It's, it's, uh, it's so counter-human nature. It's hard to think of doing this, but, Lord, when it happens through you and by your grace, And by the movement of your Holy Spirit, it's not hard anymore. It's like breathing. And God, our prayer is that you would transform us as individuals so that we can become people who submit to one another out of reverence to Christ in every relationship, but particularly, Lord, in this relationship of marriage. Teach us, Lord, how to love like you loved. Teach us to humble ourselves and to die to ourselves so that others might thrive. Um, Help us, our God, even this week to go home and practice this to get out of bed in the morning and say how can i love my spouse live for him or for her rather than myself and god out of this practice we pray that uh, joy will come that goodness will be known uh, that love will be profound and deep all as a result of you at work in us make us lord jesus like yourself God, we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.